0: Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. And uh, let's take our Bibles and go to Acts chapter number 21 today. We're going to get right into the Word. And uh, thank you for being here. And uh, what a great day. I'm looking forward to some sun after this week. I don't know about you. It's supposed to clear up a little bit. And uh, looking forward to that um but i'm i'm very excited to share with you what god has for us from acts chapter 21 it's been so incredible to me how the more we walk through this book that god has just divinely connected the passage we're studying with things that we're going through right now. And I think today's message is maybe one of those messages for you. I know it was one of those things that I needed to hear today. And I'm excited to uh, expound the word to you today from Acts chapter 21. So let's get right into it. And there's, I want to start out by just saying, I think if there's one thing that we could say about the Apostle Paul, now he's the character that we've been following uh, for many, many weeks now, probably months we've been following the Apostle Paul. And the one thing that we could say about him is that he is somebody who knows the will of God for his life, and somebody who pursues and goes after the will of God for his life. Would you say that? I think you'd agree with me that, man, if he knows God's will, he is going to do it uh, no matter what. No matter uh, whether there's a mob that wants to kill him, which we see that several times throughout his ministry, people are just like, we're going to kill this guy, and that's what they want to do. Whether it's that, whether it's illness or sickness that he goes through, difficult circumstances, people that turn on him, no matter what it is, he is always in pursuit of God's will for his life. He's pursuit of knowing, and this is God's will, knowing what God wants you to accomplish. Being Fulfilled in God's calling and God's purpose in your life. Now, last week we ended on kind of a touching scene. I don't know about you, but it was like, I mean, for sure there was a tear down the side of my face as I thought about you. You're like, what are you talking about? Remember last week, you've already forgotten, it's just been a week. Last week, if you remember, Paul is there. He's on the, he's get on, getting on a boat. He's on the shore with those leaders from Ephesus that traveled down to Miletus. And he's there, and it says that they were crying because what did he say to them? He said, you're not going to see him anymore. And we talked about the idea of when somebody, when we know if if it's possible, if we know that we're going to see this person no more, I mean, how much more significance it has in our life. And that's what he said. He said, you are not going to see me anymore. And so it was a very emotional time as those leaders who had uh, learned from Paul for two and a half years and obviously knew that God was involved in his life and wanted to be around him. As it says, they wept and they cried and they kissed him and they hugged him and they sorrowed because they were not going to see him anymore. And as they stood there on the beach, I'm sure they waited until the sail was gone over the horizon and they would not see him anymore. And it was really a fundamental change for the churches in Asia Minor at that time. But for the apostle Paul, that was just another step in pursuing the will of God for his life. Because Paul knew at this point, And the reason he left those guys in the first place is because he knew God was leading him to Jerusalem. Remember back in Acts chapter 20 and verse 22, Paul had said, behold, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. You remember that? Yeah, that means the spirit of God was leading him. He says, I have got to go to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me. He says, I don't know what's going to happen except for, that's why he says, save the Holy Ghost, witnesseth in every city. And that's a good thing, right? He says, I know that the Holy Spirit is going to be a witness. I know that people are going to get saved. People are going to come to Christ. But then he said this, he said, saying, so the Holy Spirit said, okay, there's going to be a witness also saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. What does that mean? That means he says, I'm headed basically to prison and affliction difficulty. He says, I know that's what is ahead of me. But yet what we see here is the apostle Paul, even knowing that there's trials ahead, he continues on to serve the Lord. And for us as Christians, we can learn so much from his example because I don't know about you, but as a Christian, I'm so easily swayed by the idea that the Christian life isn't going to be perfect, right? I'm so easily swayed. So many new Christians, when they become a Christian, they, they, they understand who Jesus is and they accept the gospel. They immediately think, well, this is gonna solve all of my problems, right? And we all laugh, right? <laughs> because as Christians, it doesn't solve our problems. It just changes the way we look at our problems. It helps us to understand things in a greater way. It doesn't remove them from our lives. And Paul, uh, he knew there was challenges. And though we know there's challenges uh, for Paul, he would not allow, him, uh, allow it to sway him. And so today what we see is Paul... Giving to us the example of somebody pursuing the will of God no matter what. No matter what difficulties may come, come his way. Now listen, I know that today in this room, I know that some of you right now are wrestling with some critical and difficult decisions in your life. I know that there's some of you that have some struggles that you are facing, some directions that you maybe feel you need to go in, or you even maybe even feel that God is leading you in, but you're overcome or maybe even feeling a little bit overwhelmed right now. And you're struggling with that and you're wondering, is this the will of God? Is this something I can be sure of? Is this the right decision uh, that I need to be making? And today what I want to do is encourage all of us with the idea of Paul's faithfulness to the will of God in his life. Because like Paul, we are all going to face resistance in pursuing God's will. Our adversary, the devil, he is legit and he knows how to go after us. And he—it's not like he's taken days off from attacking God's people. And if God's will is to be done on this earth, I want you to know our adversary is trying to impose his will upon this earth as well. And so there's that great spiritual battle that we know is happening, that we are aware of. But at the same time, we know that he has a special target and special attacks for Christians, those that are trying to follow and pursue the will of God. We looked at that last week a little bit about how there's those attacks that come to spiritual leaders and those that uh, need to beware of the attacks that are coming. But Paul. He knew there was trouble ahead. But as we move into Acts chapter 21, there is a new opposition. You say, as if it isn't enough already, right? That's what I always say. I read this. It's like, man, this guy has been through it. He's been through enough already. Well, guess what? There is a new opposition coming to the Apostle Paul and to him following after the will of God. And it comes from an unexpected place. Get it. Here's where it comes from. The opposition that Paul's about to face is going to come from other believers. Now think about that for a minute. It is going to come from other Christians, people who themselves are trying to follow God's will, but yet they are now going to oppose the Apostle Paul and the will of God that he is pursuing. Because remember, he's determined to go to Jerusalem, but what we're going to see in this passage, there are others who are determined to make sure that he doesn't make it. And you're like, oh, there is trouble afoot. It's not like they're going to kill him, just so you know. But there is going to be some opposition uh, that is coming his way. And so this morning, I want to ask the question, and I think this is a very important question for all Christians to ask. Will I follow the will of God, or what do I do when there are conflicting voices in my life surrounding God's will for me? How do I respond as a Christian when I believe God has led me in a direction, in a path, but yet there's others that I respect, there's others that I love, there's others that uh, maybe are older in the faith than I, and they disagree or they even oppose what it is That God has led me to do? And we're going to answer that question today. As well, at the end of the message, uh, we are going to take a moment, and I'm going to give you some practical guidelines for how to know God's will for your life. That's a very important thing that all Christians need to lock down, and I'll explain that as we go. But let's get into the passage in Acts chapter 21 and verse number one. And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them, that's Miletus, and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Coos, And the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence to Patara, and finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, that doesn't mean they were like explorers discovering a new island. That means that their their boat came upon it. They passed it. We left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlaid uh, her burden." Now, these verses here give us Paul's journey from Miletus to the mainland of Israel. And the journey that he went on here, you can see, and, and just in the places that he mentioned, was a journey that uh, would have taken him uh, through places that were rich in ancient history. And I was thinking about the Apostle Paul on that boat, you know, as the sun came up in the morning and as he's uh, having his time with the Lord and spending his time in prayer. And as he passed by these just incredible cities along the way, first we see in the passage there was a the city of Coos, you saw that there. It was a great commercial and a trading island. Uh, it was a major uh, shipping route. It was also famous as a medical center. Hi- uh, Hippocrates, the great Greek physician, was actually born there on that island and in that area. And then it tells us that they came to Rhodes, which is known as the Island of Roses. And uh, it was very important as well. It was a major shipping center. That's why the ship hit all of these ports along the way, picking up people, dropping off cargo, um, whatever that it is that they were uh, doing. Of course, these are major cities. And then there was Patera. Um, Now, Patera was an important commercial city uh, for all the towns that lay inland or either uh, bordered uh, the, the river that fed into the ocean there. Of course, the Mediterranean Sea, uh, it was a major shipping route along the way. And if you're like me, I'm looking at all these, I'm like, man, this is like a pretty sweet trip, right? <laughs> That'd be a nice cruise to go on. Uh, all of these amazing places. And then uh, after that, it says that they sailed by Cyprus. <clears throat> and I got a picture here of, of part of Cyprus. A lot of great uh, history was there, of course. They didn't spend any time there. They sailed past it. But finally, they came to the city of Tyre, which was one of the most famous seaports in uh, ancient times. Now, the city was so unique because it was built in two different sections. The first section was built on the mainland, and so there was a whole uh, city there. They had their own harbor, but then just across an inlet, a small inlet, there was an island and on that island there, um, there was a uh, another whole city, basically. It was still called Tyre, but another city and another harbor. And so it had basically two harbors, places for ships to come. And it was a very well-known place. All throughout Scripture, we see this city mentioned. Uh, parts for the temple uh, in Jerusalem came and were shipped there. Uh, David talked about that. But it was here in Tyre that Paul spent seven days as the ship was being unloaded. Did you see it there? They spent seven days as the ship was now unloaded. And was his pattern, when they came to a new city, he would go and try to find believers. So that's the backstory. You got it? All right. So they're there. And now they go and they try to find some believers, but it's here where they come across opposition to God's will. So point number one today, we see opposition to God's will. It begins in this city called Tyre. Verse four, and finding disciples, we tarry there seven days. So they're there seven days. The disciples who said to Paul through the Spirit. Now, that's a key phrase right there. I want you to maybe underline it or, or just take note of it. They said, through the Spirit, here's what they said, that he should not go up to Jerusalem. He should not go up to Jerusalem. Now, just as a reminder, if you are anywhere around Jerusalem, if you're going to Jerusalem, they always say you're going up to Jerusalem. Just so you know, it was considered the, I mean, the pinnacle. It was the main city, right? So even though they are north, uh, as far as the, 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 the land is concerned, you always go up. So here's what they said, through the Spirit. They said, do not go up to Jerusalem. They said, he should not go up there. Now, to me, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because Paul had said, I go bound by the Spirit to Jerusalem. Remember that? We just read that. So he says, I, the Spirit is leading me to go. These people through the Spirit are saying, you should not go. Now, to me, it seems like a conflict, right? All right, so which Spirit is it? <laughs> which one is the devil? <laughs> which one is God? Uh, which, which, which Spirit is it that we should be following him? Now, for Paul, he knew that he was to go to Jerusalem but now we have this small group of believers saying, don't go to Jerusalem. Who should Paul believe? Who should he, uh, uh, who should he listen to? What God has revealed to him or what these people are saying? Well, will look at verse number uh, five. And when we had accomplished those days, so they were there the seven days, it says, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave, one of another, we took ship and they returned home. Well, it didn't seem like it affected them at all. <laughs> They're like, hey, we don't think you should go to Jerusalem. Uh, and when we accomplished, we left, <laughs> is what it says. And he just took off. And so it really didn't seem to affect him all that much. But then they continue their journey. Verse 7. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais and saluted the brethren, and abode with them one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea. Now there's a city we recognize. So these are, uh, they're now on foot. They're not on a ship anymore. They're walking. So they go now to Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist. Now that should spark a memory in your mind of something that took place back in Acts chapter 6. I'll reference that here in a minute. But here, Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven, abode, and they abode with him. They stayed with him. And the same man, that's Philip, had four daughters, virgins, which did a prophesy. Well, they get there to Caesarea, and they are reunited with Philip the evangelist. Now, back in Acts chapter 6, we're told that Philip was one of the seven, right? The seven, magnificent seven, we call them, right? Uh, the seven deacons of the church there in Jerusalem. And they had been appointed because they were men who followed the Lord and loved the Lord. And so they were appointed to care for the widows, if you remember that story. Who else was part of that seven was a guy by the name of Stephen, now, Stephen was the first martyr who was killed for his faith, and Paul, now the apostle who used to be called Saul before his conversion, was the one who stood there and held the coats of the ones who killed Stephen. He was complicit in his death. Philip and Stephen, I mean, were brothers. They're not, not real brothers, but they were close people. They were, I mean, they were close to each other. And now we see the apostle Paul reintroducing himself into Philip the evangelist's life some 20 years later. I often wonder what Philip thought. He knew, and I know he had heard about what Paul had done. He'd heard about his conversion. He'd heard about all the good things that God was doing. But I'm sure part of him was wondering, is this, this all a trick so he can kill me too? You know, Is he trying to knock off the seven, <laughs> You know, work his way through all seven, and, and uh, maybe he's just now getting to me? I'm sure that would have been a struggle, but it's also a reminder for us about how great it is that no matter where we come from, no matter what our backgrounds in Christ, we're new. And, uh, and God brings people, like in this room, people from all different backgrounds, and brings us together because of Jesus Christ. And that's what we see here. Philip, the evangelist, he's the one who took the gospel to Samaria the first time. He's the one who uh, baptized the Ethiopian eunuch in the river. Remember that whole story there? And, uh, and, and then it tells us that he has four daughters virgins who had the gift of prophecy. Now, that's all it says about it. It's a very unique little situation. We're not going to get into all of it, but I think it was just basically because it was National Daughters Day. I thought I'd mention it, right? Which was just this week. I'm sure we all, our Instagram feeds are all like, okay, we know you have girls. Okay. Uh, that's, uh, that's what I say as a father with four sons, you know? And uh, anyway, uh, but you, you see that there. And, and so he had these four daughters and this very unique gift uh, here of prophecy. Well, then we get to verse number 10. As we tarry there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. Now, that should spark a memory in your mind. If it doesn't, I'll tell you why in a minute. Verse 11. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle. Now, that's his belt. Okay, it's the belt, the ancient, uh, uh, um, really that culture. Most everyone did. They had robes, and they would have this huge uh, belt that was very long, wrapped multiple times around them. It kind of kept their clothes together, okay? Or if they were getting ready to work, they would bind up the long robes and tuck it into there and then be ready to fight or work or whatever it is that they needed to do, you know? And, uh, and so uh, this guy named Agabus comes, and he uh, when he was come, he took Paul's girdle. So he took his belt. He took what was holding his clothes up. This is kind of a weird situation, right? And he took it, and he bound his own hands and his own feet, and he said, thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, Agabus was somebody, and we're getting lots of background today. We're doing a lot of kickback. Agabus was a guy that 15 years earlier had made a prophecy about a famine that was to come into the land, and that prophecy came true. So now here we have a guy who has made prophecies on behalf of the Lord, prophecies that came true, and now he comes to Paul, and he takes his belt. I don't know if, I don't, how do you, how do you do that? Either slide a hand or you just kind of, I don't know, he just pulled it off and Paul's like, what are you doing? You know, I don't anyway, you can imagine what it was like. He took his belt though and, uh, you know, probably had Paul stitched in the leather right on the side, you know, and had Paul and he took it and he tied up his hands and his feet and he says, the whoever's belt this is, and everybody's like, whose belt is it? No, (laughs) never never mind. Paul's like, yeah, yeah, we know Agabus. This guy, he must have been kind of one of those real, uh, you know, extreme people. He's like, you could have just said this, Agabus, but it said you took my belt, tied yourself up. Whoever's belt this is, is going to be, you know, in prison. And uh, also the Gentiles are going to take him. And Paul says, okay, we get the picture. And he gives this prophecy of what's going to happen. Look at verse number 12 then. Now, this is where things start to get interesting a little bit. It says, and when we heard these things, you say, who is the we? Well, who's writing the book? That's Luke. And then Timothy was there and others were there. So now these are Paul's closest friends. This is not just Agabus rolling in, you know, on the weekend to make a, a prophecy. This is his closest friends. These are people he trusts. It says, and we, when we heard these things, both we and they of that place, so the people that were there, he sought him to not go up to Jerusalem. Now think about that. Now, uh, Paul, okay, uh, he gets the tire and the Christians there say, don't go to Jerusalem. Agabus comes in and says, whoever's belt this is, you're going to be in prison. You're going to have trouble and difficulty. And the, even the, the, uh, the Gentiles are going to go after you. And then his closest friends, Luke, uh, all of these people say, listen, we do not want, uh, Besat means to beg persistently like, Paul, don't go, don't go uh, up there to Jerusalem. So what do we make of all this? (laughs) That's the question now. What do we make of all this? Because we know Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem. God wants me to go. Is Paul the apostle wrong? Now think about that for a minute. Is he wrong? I mean, there are warnings in his life now from trusted friends, from believers, Philip the evangelist, uh, people who had a long history of walking with God. And now they are saying, uh, you should not go to Jerusalem. They are warning him. They're concerned about it. So what do we, what do we, what do we think of all this? How do, we, how do we deal with this, right? How do we know what is the right way? Are these people all wrong and Paul's right or is Paul wrong and, and all these other people are right? Well, one author put it this way and I thought he just put it in a really clear way. Here's what he said. He said, when it comes to this passage, we need to draw a distinction between a prediction and a prohibition. We need to draw a distinction between a uh, 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 a prediction, so, okay, this is what's going to happen, and a prohibition, you shall not go. Does that make sense? You need to have that distinction here. Now, here's the thing. Agabus, of course, when he came, what was he doing? He was predicting what was going to take place. That's what he said. Uh, Paul, when the Spirit spoke to him, it said, you will have bonds and afflictions, okay? And so these are predictions of what is happening, and that helps us to understand maybe the response of those in verse Uh, number four. But here's the idea. Paul's friends made their opinions known and made their decisions based off of the information that they had. Now, these friends of his, these people that are speaking to his life, they are not infallible. They're human like we are. And so they were viewing the information. They were viewing the predictions from human eyes. In in other words, uh, just to make it maybe even simpler, the warning was divine, but the urging of Paul was a human thing. So to put it simply, let's look at it this way. The Spirit of God was consistent in what he was saying to Paul. Through other people and to himself, the Holy Spirit was consistent. You are going to suffer in Jerusalem. But, but here's the difference. Uh, the reception to that news was different. So for Paul, he heard that news and says, well, I'm all in. I mean, what, <laughs> my life is, is, you know, is nothing for Christ. But when his friends heard the predictions and heard the prophecies about it, they were like, whoa, 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 we don't want Paul to be hurt. Uh, Paul, you, you have a better impact alive than dead, right? And so they, they, they looked at it from a, a different type of reception. And so for his friends, uh, when they found out what was ahead, they made the mistake that often we do is that we then become concerned and begin to doubt when the will of God does not line up with what we think it should be. Uh, Kent Hughes is an author that I that I read quite a bit, and he helps me out uh, a lot in my study. And he put it this way. He said, these acquaintances of Paul, what they did is they, dis, they they demonstrate to us the very common inclination, which is being quick to know God's will for somebody else. Now, that's part of the human psyche, right? Uh, I don't know what it is. Somebody says, I feel like God wants me to do this. I'm like, no, no, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that's God's will for your life. Well, what am I doing? I, I am assuming that uh, God uh, doesn't you know, doesn't speak to them, and we need to be aware of that, because no matter uh, what the will of God is, um, it, it shouldn't be dependent upon what other people necessarily say. But at the same time, we see these people here; they're well-meaning, but they're trying to conform God to their own preconceptions. Like, for example, I think they're thinking, if Paul goes to Jerusalem, I mean, that may be the end of him. He's going to be bound. He's going to be. Uh, he's going to be tried. He's probably they've tried to kill him before. And they're definitely going to try to kill him again. And so they're thinking, well, if Paul, if Paul is killed there, then I'm not going to, you know, have him anymore. I'm going to be deprived of his ministry. Therefore, it's probably not the will of God for you to go. You need to stay, Paul. We need you. Others need you. You should not follow God's, God's will. Basically, they live like a lot of Christians do when it comes to God's will, which is this. What am I getting out of it? <laughs> that's how a lot of Christians look at the will of God. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, God, I'll follow you if there's something that you want me to do, that's great. What am I going to get out of it, is the question. And I think that's how they were looking at it. Well, I don't know about that, Paul. You know, if you're in prison, then you're not going to be able to you know, hang out with me anymore. If you're in prison, how are you going to go back and, Paul, how are you going to get to Rome? How are you going to get to, uh, you wanted to go to Spain and preach there. You wanted to give the gospel to that region. How are you going to do that if you're in prison in Rome, in Jerusalem, Paul? What, what are you doing? It's a, it's a common m- mindset of the, the modern-day Christian today. And I think it's unique to maybe our society um, but, but the idea is that, is this, when it comes to the will of God, you, you know, God wants me to be happy, right? God wants me to be happy. And so if I'm not happy, this must not be the will of God. Uh, you know, God, God doesn't want me to suffer uh, pain. God doesn't want me to go through difficulty. Therefore, uh, I am not in God's will then. Another author, uh, Oswald Chambers, who wrote many, many helpful, helpful things, he said it this way. He said, he said, to choose to suffer means that there's something wrong to choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. I thought that was really good. He says, for the person who just chooses to put themselves in pain and suffering, there's something wrong with that, okay? But if a Christian chooses to follow the will of God, even though it might mean pain and suffering, that's a very different way. He continued and said, no healthy saint ever chooses suffering. What they do is choose God's will, as Jesus did. (laughs) Whether that means suffering or not. And it's a very important distinction that we need to make. To them who are on the outside, they're like, hey, Paul, you're choosing a, a, a time of suffering, you're choosing difficulty. But he's saying, no, 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 I'm just following God's will. And if suffering's a part of it, then thy will be done, not my own will. You know, for us as Christians, we, we cannot make our understanding of God's guidance conditional on our own happiness or our sense of completeness. See, so often as Christians, we're like, God, I'll do what you say as long as I'm happy and everything's all good, right? as long as 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 everything works out fine for me and I don't have any problems and no difficulty and everything's smooth going and perfect, then I'll do it. That's not the way that Christians are to pursue the will of God. You know, think about it. We don't just share the gospel with people because it's so enjoyable to come out of our shell and share Christ with someone who doesn't want to hear about Christ, right? It's not super enjoyable when they tell you to like, hey, keep your religion to yourself, (laughs) It's not that enjoyable when they start to distance themselves from you because you maybe make lifestyle choices that are uh, more in accordance to the Word of God than maybe what they might choose. That's not an enjoyable thing, but why do we share the gospel? Why do we grow in our, in our walk? Why do we make decisions based off of God's Word? Well, we do it because God asked us to do it, and it's the will of God, and there's some uh, things that come along. We don't, uh, we don't serve as hosts uh, on Sunday morning or Kid City teachers because it's always fun. We do it because God wants us to. Uh, we don't just get on a setup team or do community outreach because it's super fulfilling, although it is fulfilling, but we do it because it's a way for us to share the gospel and to get God's word out. God has led us to do it. And so uh, these, these people here, they, uh, they are viewing it and their reception is completely different. I think as well what it reveals to us is that their spiritual focus was a little more horizontal than vertical. And that's a struggle we all have, right? We all really, we do, we live in this world. We know that. And, and our focus sometimes is too much on this world and not on above. And for these men, they were thinking about what they would lose if the Apostle Paul was taken and put into prison rather than thinking about what, what God would gain from his following him. They were looking out for Paul's good, which is admirable, but they weren't looking out for God's good or what God was trying to do through him. And that was the difference. And for Paul, though, here's what I want you to notice. Paul looked at things, though, completely different than most people. All these other believers are seeing these warnings. They're like, we should be concerned, Paul. I don't know if this is the right decision for you. I don't know if you should do this. But Paul looks at it in a completely different way. And that's where we come to point number two today, which is obedience to God's will. There's opposition to God's will. There's this opposition from people that he trusts, people that he knows. But now we see obedience to God's will in verse number 13. I love this. And Paul answered, what mean ye to weep and to break my heart? <laughs> Man, that's a great way to say, stop making me cry, is what he's saying. You know, why would you do that to me? Like, hey, you're trying, to, you're trying to stir my emotions, is what he's saying. Don't make me cry, you know. Some of you are really good at that. When you're in an argument with your spouse, you just know how to go right for, uh, they're going to cry if I say that, you know. Okay, hopefully not. Don't say that. Uh, Hopefully your relationships are not uh, in that way. But he's like, hey, why are you trying to make me cry? Look what he says. For I am ready not to be bound only. He says, I'm ready to be tied up. Thank you, Agabus, giving back my belt. I'm fine. I'm fine with that. But also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Man, think about that. He says, not only am I, I'm fine to be bound, he says, but I'm ready to die. And here's the thing. Paul had a full understanding of what it was that God had called him to do. And so he gives them an answer that as a Christian stirs my heart and as yours, I hope it stirs your heart with the idea that he says, listen, I am willing to do whatever it is that God would want me to do. He was a man who had counted the cost of true discipleship. He had counted that cost. He knew what it meant. He had already experienced it. He bore in his body, as he says, the marks of following Christ. And he's saying here, I know what this means. I know what it looks like to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, when you think back to when Jesus gave his call to all to follow after him, uh, he said that you would follow. He says, I want you to follow me. And the point was, is no matter the cost. No matter what may come into your life, he's saying, just follow me. That's why he says, take up your cross and follow me, meaning there'd be some difficulty. And we as Christians today need to recognize like Isaiah did when he said, "Here am I, Lord, send me. And that's our heart attitude. That's what it should be. God, if you have something for me to do, Lord, if you want to call me to do something, uh, God, whatever it may be, Lord, even if it's just following uh, your word as it is right now and being the right dad and the right mom and the right uh, spouse. And if I'm single today, you know, uh, uh, protecting myself and saving myself and, and making sure that I'm the best person I can be for that one that God is going to bring into my life one day, whatever it may be, following the, uh, the will of God, I'm just going to pursue it. I'm going to, Lord, I'm here for you no matter what may come my way. We must consider what it means to count the cost to follow Jesus, to really think about what, uh, it, it, or how we should respond when God gives us directions. I want to give you a couple of quick thoughts then around this idea of counting the cost and of obeying the will of God. When it comes to obeying the will of God, I want you to think about this. You need to love people, but you need to love Jesus more. You need to love people, but you need to love Jesus more. I think Paul very clearly showed us that he loved people. Of course, we know that. He loved his Christian friends. We we've even spent some time discussing how much he spent, how much time he spent with them and encouraging them. But the thing is is we must resist the urge in our great love for people to be only focused on pleasing people. We need to be like Paul where he said, "I'm ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ." What is he saying? He's saying there's nothing more important to me than Jesus. There's nothing more important to me than Jesus. There is no one or no thing that is more valuable than Jesus Christ because we are ultimately accountable to him, aren't we? And so we as believers must treasure Jesus supremely in all things. You say, you mean I'm to love Jesus more than my spouse? Yes, (laughs) because to truly love Jesus with all that you are, you will be a much better spouse than you are right now if you make Jesus the supreme goal. You say, I want to love Jesus more than my kids are so cute. And they are, right? Yes, because you know what? Those kids need more than anything else. They need a parent who loves Jesus. (laughs) They need a parent who puts Jesus first above all things. You say, well, I'm I'm waiting to meet that person. I'm waiting to meet the one. And and one day God's going to bring that person to me. And I believe that God will bring that person to you possibly. But even if he doesn't, here's the question. Is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus enough for you? And that's the question that we must ask. Is Jesus enough? Guess what? He should be enough and he should be supreme above all else. And so when it comes to following the will of God, we must love people, but we need to love Jesus more. Uh, As well, we need to value counsel, but follow God's will. (laughs) Value counsel, but follow God's will. Paul listened to the counsel of others. The book of Proverbs is full of verses telling us to listen to wise counsel. And I would say this, if you are the kind of person who refuses to listen to counsel, like refuses, okay? Okay. Uh, you refuse to listen to Christian friends or Christian leaders to speak into your life. That right there is a foolish choice. I'll just tell you that right now. And, and listen, it's easy because we can get advice online, you know. We can just, I'll, I'll, just look, ooh, hello. I'll just look up a YouTube video uh, that uh, that tells me, you know, how I should make my life's decision or I should follow this person on Instagram and they'll give me all this great advice. Listen, you, you should value counsel. Counsel is very important and it is spoken of very highly in the Word of God. Um, and the person who doesn't listen to it is accounted a fool. We see that in Proverbs as well. But at the same time, while it is foolish to not listen to counsel, sometimes following God makes you look a little foolish. And we have to keep that in mind. I was thinking back and, you know, our missions conference is coming up in a few weeks. And, and the history of missions around the world is filled with stories of missionaries who left things behind and went against people's advice in order to pursue and follow the will of God. I thought I'd share a couple with you just real quickly. There's a guy by the name of Jim Elliott who gave his life to serve the Aka Indians in Ecuador. He was one of the first ones. They would land this plane, this very plane right here on a beach, and that would allow them on a river, a, a beach on a river, this tiny plane they would land it, it would allow them to go and minister uh, to this, uh, th- this group of people that had never uh, heard of the gospel before. But many people were against him going. They told him, you are too gifted to go and serve as a missionary. That just I, I, it boggles my mind that someone would say that. You're too gifted to serve the Lord. I mean, come on now. But that's what they did. And so he, 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 he spoke, and, and he had some pretty strong words for people that were against him following the Lord. I want to read this to you. He said this. He said, what if the well-fed church of the homeland just needs some stirring? <laughs> he said, uh, they have the scriptures. Now, he's speaking about the churches in, in, uh, in America. He says, they have the scriptures, they have Moses and the prophet and a whole lot more, but their condemnation is written in their bank books and in the dust of their Bible covers. Whoa. American believers have sold their lives to the service of money and God has his rightful way of dealing with those who give into the spirit of Laodicea. That's the lukewarm church. Man, that's some strong words. He said, I will not be deterred. Now he gave his life, him and others gave their lives to reach those people Praise the Lord. Today, there are still even his own descendants. His wife went back and stayed there in the village and led the man who killed her husband to Christ and changed that. I mean, there's a, there's an amazing uh, movie called End of the Spear. You can check that out. It's, it's, it's fantastic about his story. David Livingston was another one who went to the heart of Africa, I mean, hundreds of years ago, 150 years ago or so. He wrote in a letter to the London Missionary Society, he said this, he said, so powerfully convinced am I that this is the will of God, that I should go to Africa, I will go no matter who opposes me. He went through a great deal of trials. He, he suffered a lot. Others, even well-known pastors, tried to persuade him not to go. But he said this, God has called me to Africa and I'm staying here. Despite all odds, he stayed. Another missionary by the name of Adoniram Judson, he was a Baptist missionary who desired to go to Burma, which is today uh, Myanmar. It was a closed country. It was very difficult for him to uh, get in, but against the pleas of others, including his own family, he and his wife, they went there and he suffered greatly there. For 38 years, he ministered in that area. He lost his first and his second wife uh, to disease. He lost seven of his 13 children to disease while over there serving the Lord. And I know we look at that and we say, well, man, that's a waste. Why would someone do that? Why would you suffer? Well, he knew that God had called him there. And then today, To this day, they believe there's over 4,000 Baptist congregations in Muslim or Buddhist Myanmar today that have their claim and connect their history all the way back to his ministry so long ago. They believe there's over half a million believers in that country today as a result of his serving the Lord. You know, the costly obedience of missionaries and others have blessed millions of people and has been the source of inspiration for many missionaries to come. I, I, have, I do not know a missionary personally. I do not know a missionary that in, in the matter of talking and of subjects coming up, that they have not mentioned that they have read these books on these men and how their lives have inspired them. And we could go on and on. I actually had seven or eight uh, that I had prepared this week, but we'll just do the three just to give you the idea and to understand that, listen, uh, there is something worse than dying, and that is just not living. I want you to get that. There is something worse than dying today. You know, we live in a society that is a scared of dying, right? We are terrified. We are so scared. I, you know, I, I don't want to do anything that put my life at risk. And, and I understand all of those concerns, and we need to be aware of those. This is not a call to foolishness, all right? But in, the, in, in our lives, in the outset of our lives, in the brief moment that we are on this earth, the fact is, is that I would much rather die serving other people and have that full and abundant life of pursuing and following the Lord than just trying my best to just not get hurt, <laughs> to live a life of fear, to live a life of just like, oh, I just want to make sure everything's perfect and everything's okay. Life is too short to waste it. Now you hear that today. And so that, you know, in our world's philosophy, it's like life's too short. So go to the Bahamas, you know, like go on vacation. Like that's their idea. You know, make sure you travel, make sure you find a job that you're fulfilled in. But as Christians, By the way, all those things are fine. I love to travel and go to different places. But listen, if if you're a Christian and you're just, all you're trying to do is be uh, in in self-preservation mode, you're not truly living. You're not truly experiencing what it means to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark chapter eight, uh, Jesus said, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. He's saying here that, listen, uh, living our lives for the cause of Christ is a wonderful, fulfilling, life-giving thing. It may involve risk, it may involve hardship, it may involve sacrifice, but it is worth it. So many times as Christians, you know, especially young Christians, they look at these and they say, well, what a waste. You know, Paul could have done more in prison. He could have maybe done more good than being in prison. But scripture always gives us a different view. Mark chapter 8, verse 36, it continues, it says, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What, what, what benefit is it to you if you've got a Bentley in the driveway <laughs> and you've got a house in the British properties and you don't even know and you have no security of your home in heaven? What's the, what's the point of that? What, what good is it? He says, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Can you give your Bentley <laughs> for eternity? Can you give your ben- Bentley for eternal life? Of course not whosoever there sh- therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, this is Jesus talking, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Listen, Paul lived a life like this. This is the idea of that passage that, listen, you've got you've to just live your life for Jesus Christ. He, he alone is the most. Sure, You might you have a Bentley one day and be a Christian? Yes, of course. Great. I know Christians with Bentleys. Good for them, you know? God's blessed them. I also know they also give very generously and abundantly uh, to the cause of, of Christ. I know people who had, anyway, we won't get into that, you know? I, I'll say this on the other side of it. I know people who've had supercars and incredible careers who gave it all away in order to serve Christ on the mission field, serve God in ministry, walked away from it all. It's, a, it's amazing. The point is, is what Paul is teaching us here is that a life not willing to be swayed Uh, not willing to, uh, 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 or or only willing to pursue God's will, is the life that you want to live. And Paul says, even if it means suffering, even if it means death, that's how much Jesus meant to him. Paul was not a pleaser of men. (laughs) Galatians chapter 1, he said, uh, for now, uh, for do I now persuade men or God? (laughs) Do I seek to please men? For if yet I please men, I would not be the servant of Christ. He loved his friends, but he loved God more. He also was someone who gives us an example of trusting in the sovereignty of God. What does that mean? That means that he trusted that God knows what he is doing, that God is sovereign, meaning he is overall. He knows. He knows what's happening. He does not look at this life in, a, in our world in a linear timeline like we try to, you know, that we, that we do. God knows what is to come. And so here's the point is that God is not going to call you to do something that he will not be there with you. Does that make sense? And I think Paul said in his heart, he knew if God is leading me to Jerusalem, then God's going to go with me. He's not going to abandon me. He's going to be there by my side. He's going to bring some glory out of this, even if it means suffering. Verse number 14, and when he would not be persuaded, (laughs) we ceased. I think they maybe tried a little bit more. He says, no, 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 no. (laughs) They ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. The will of the Lord be done. By the way, I'll tell you this. If you seek advice from a godly person, and you are convinced, and you know, and you can show, and you can be like, listen, this is what God is calling me to do. Even if they maybe uh, are against it at first, the wise Christian counselor will see God's work in your life, and he'll say, the will of the Lord be done in your life. Then. If this is what God has called you to do, and so they said, "The will of the Lord be done." After this, uh, those days we took up our carriages, went to Jerusalem, and there went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea, and brought with them one Mason of Cyprus, who was an old disciple. I love that, you know. <laughs> Bring on Mason with us. Come on, Mason. All right, see if you can keep up. That's a joke. Uh, anyway, they brought an old old disciple with whom we would lodge. Here's what we get from the passage today. They continued on their journey, and we'll follow that over the next few weeks uh, as uh, he gets to Jerusalem and does experience some great difficulty. Here's what I want you to see though. A heart that is saved, a heart that is separated, and a heart that is surrendered can know the will of God. You can know the will of God for your life. And if you want to know the will of God, you can know it. Like I mentioned at the very beginning of uh, our service time, I want to share with you just really quickly a few thoughts of how you can know the will of God. All right? How you can know the will of God. So ready? Let's write these down. I got four thoughts here for you very, very quickly. Ready? Number one spend time with God regularly. Wow. Groundbreaking, right? Groundbreaking. You're like, of course, that's what you always say. Read your Bible. Yes. Spend time with God regularly. You must maintain a fresh and a vibrant relationship with the Lord if you are going to know his will for your life. I've had people come to me and be like, pastor, I believe that God wants me to make this decision. Pastor, I believe that this is something that the Lord wants me to do. And one of the first questions I ask is, well, how have you, you know, how's your devotions, right? Are you reading your Bible? Like, I have read my Bible in three months, you know? <laughs> I had a great meal last night. I woke up, and this is what I'm going to do, you know? Uh, God, God showed me this. No, listen, God, re- God speaks to us. God does not change. He, he gave us his word, right? And, and I, I want to say this, too, just to clarify. We as Christians follow the revealed word of God, right? The re- this is the revealed will of God for you. There's so much in the Bible. Like, we have questions about life and how to pursue things. We can always go to the Bible and find an answer there for us, okay? We know that. But I also believe that for all of us, there is a specific will that God has for us. There's a, maybe a specific task or or, or a, 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 a person or something that God has for you. And by the way, there's multiple things throughout our life. It's not just like, you know, sometimes we wait like for this huge, like, amazing moment where we're, like, struck by lightning and, like, you know, thrash around and we get up and we know exactly what it is. God reveals his will a step at a time. But first of all, we must pursue the revealed word of God, our will of God, and that is in the word of God. And so we've got to have time with the Lord regularly. But then secondly, if you want to know the will of God, seek good and godly counsel. Those two descriptive words go together, good and godly. Avoid turning to your friends who have their own interests in mind. Oh, better yet, don't just go to your friends who are going to tell you what you want to hear, right? We all know who they are. You know our kids are so good at that. You know, if, if my boys want some money for bubble tea or some, or they want to buy some credits for a video game, guess who they come to? Me, because their mom. It's no, no, all the time. Video games, especially video games, no. And so they come to me, and then I say, go ask your mom. No, don't, don't, don't make us ask mom. No. <laughs> Here's the thing. We we know who we go to when we want you know answers, right? If they want a different answer, they may go to Jeanette instead of to me. And so uh, that that's the thing we often do with what we want to do. And so we're like, okay, well, I feel like maybe I should do this. I'm going to go ask this friend who's got my back. They'll always support me. They'll always affirm what I want to say. And so we go to them. We don't actually go to maybe an outside source. I would encourage you with this. Maybe go to somebody who you know might differ with your viewpoint. But the point of this is good and godly. Godly counsel. Godly counsel. That's important. Someone who walks with the Lord themselves. Someone that has a, uh, has a, a, a clear relationship with Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, You need to realize that God's will may not be exactly what you want. This is a kicker for most people right here. This is the trigger where they move from following the Lord to not following the Lord. They say, yes, I'm walking with the Lord. I'm seeking counsel. God, I I want you to speak to me, Lord. And then God says, you know what? This is my will for your life. And they're like, well, that doesn't make sense. This isn't what I had planned for my life. This isn't what I thought I should do. This isn't what my high school counselor told me about myself. (laughs) This doesn't match up. And so then they're like, well, I don't know. But listen, the person who's going to follow the will of God has to be willing to understand it may be different than what you thought. Guess what? I'm here today because God's will was different than what I thought my life would look like. That's the only reason I'm here today. The only reason. I had some great plans, I had it all planned out, ready to go. You know, I I knew what I was going to do. I knew how I was uh, created. And I, I, you know, I walked with the Lord. I sought the Lord. And then one day God showed me what his will for my life was. And I was like, whoa, are you sure about that? And it's led me on a completely different journey. But guess what? I'm so thankful that I followed it because I'm more fulfilled today than I know that if I'd followed that other will of my own will. I know that for a fact because I am confident that I'm doing what God has created me and God has led me to do. And so we need to realize, though, that it may be not exactly what you want. Sometimes God gives you the desires of your heart. We know that. That's a scriptural principle. But oftentimes what I find, God leads us to different places, and it's because he's growing us, he's stretching us, he's, he, he's molding us into maybe something better than we could ever be on our, on our own. And then lastly, when it comes to knowing the will of God, if you know what God wants you to do, then just do it. Nike got it right. I can't say it for copyright, copyright infringement, but, uh, you know, just do it. If you know, and there, YouTube's going to censor that, you know, or whatever, copyright. I have to pay Nike. Uh, they'll run Nike ads on this sermon online. But, uh, uh, you, you know, that's, that's what it is. If you know it, then just do it. That, that's a, those are four great tips right there. you got to be regularly in the Word of God. Seek godly counsel. Now, that's not just seeking counsel when you're about to make a decision. Seek godly counsel throughout the way. Find people that can influence your life. And then realize it may not look how you want it to look. And then fourthly, when you know what it is, you must and just do it. You know, for most Christians, it's not so much about knowing the will of God as it is about obeying the will of God. What I find is that most Christians have those moments where God speaks to them through the word, through a message, through, uh, through a friend, or God encourages their heart just through their, their own scripture reading and time and just reflection or meditation on the Lord. And when that happens, they know. But the question is, is will they obey There's countless times that the Lord speaks to me and is like, you need to do this or make this decision or speak to this person or parent differently or whatever it is. The question is, is will I obey then when that time comes? Will I obey at that moment? History records for us the stories of people who obeyed God's will. Couldn't get that either. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) oh yeah that kind of (laughs) works siri she's man they're listening (laughs) history which sounds like siri i'm sorry about that history history see it did it again man you're just ruining it all right (laughs) i won't say that the records of the past the records of the past have showed us (laughs) i can't recover from that i think you know what i'm saying we don't have the stories of those who didn't obey the Lord. We have the stories of those that followed God. And listen, that's what I want my life story to be. That's what I want my kids' testimony to be at my funeral one day. Dad followed the Lord. Even if it wasn't easy, even if it was difficult, even if it stretched him, even if though we were poor, <laughs> Dad followed God. And that, And that's what our desire should be as Christians is that we would just be people who follow him. And that's really what my desire for today's message is. There's going to be confuse, confusing moments. There's going to be other voices. There's going to be those that will not agree. But if you know the will of God, would you just commit today, I'm just going to do the will of God. I'm going to follow it. Whatever it is that God has me to do. And it, it takes, and it begins with a willing heart. Say, Lord, whatever you have for me, whatever you have for me, laying aside of my own will and my own desires, and say, God, whatever it is. And then when that happens, say, Lord, I'm going to obey you, I'm going to follow you in that way. Hey, do you know the will of God for your life today? Do you know the will of God for your life? You can know it. You can know it. And you say, I don't know, I don't know if I have a specific thing. Well, you do know that God has called you to be a good father and a good husband, and a, a, a wife that uh, is kind and, and, and is a blessing to her family. We know that God has called you to be a, a hard worker and to uh, be a testimony for him. We know those things and we can pursue those things and as we do, God often then reveals to us just another step of the way, another place that he would have us to be. We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.